0: What is good, everyone? This is your host, Deanna Radalescu with Label Free Podcast. To live your best life, you must live label free. As always, bringing you incredible dynamic guests from all over the world. So sit back, relax, and tune in. My next guest is a former public school teacher, a charter school teacher, personal trainer, camp director, event manager, race timer, CrossFit coach, and is also a podcast host. Please welcome Barb Higgins. Barb, that is quite the laundry list of things that you do.
1: It is. I don't like to be still, so I have to find things to fill every livable moment of the
0: day. I, I, you know what? I'm very similar to that. It's like we don't know our full potential unless we actually try and, and try to do new things, you know, whatever that might look like for us. Exactly. I also like things that connect me with people I wouldn't likely meet
1: walking down the street or whatever, you know? So everything I do is is another whole community of people that have some sort of common interest, So it's a great way to stay connected in a very disconnected time.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, we are, you know, like as Julie likes to say, we are um, Is what'd she say? We're not as disconnected as we are. I forget what her saying is, but it's really good. And and I'm always, I always think about that. So yeah. you've got a very moving story. I, I like all of my guests that have overcome something in their life to get them to where they are today. And that's why you're here to be on on the show to share your story. Um, you had some tragedies happen in your life not too long ago that really kind of propelled you into a new direction. Yeah, I'm gonna share that with us because uh, it's just a warning, you guys. It's gonna be a, probably a little emotional. So yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, so the best way to begin the story is April thirtieth, two thousand sixteen, was as normal a day as could be. I was flying home from a vacation. Molly and Gracie were with their dad, having a wonderful day. They went out for ice cream. It was a warm unseasonably warm April day to finish the month. Um, May 1st, we took Molly to the ER because she was profusely vomiting. She'd been having headaches. We'd gone to the doctors five or six times. I mean, it, it, wasn't, un, it wasn't new that she was having these headaches, yeah. but we took her to the ER thinking that finally we would get some help and not knowing that we would never take her home. Um, after 16 hours of just really truly being ignored in the ER, um, a brain tumor that no one knew was there ruptured and killed her. Oh. oh. So, yeah. So all my begging for a CAT scan and, or an MRI or something for all those hours had been sort of really just put off. They thought she was anorexic. They thought she was a drama queen. Oh, and she was oh. a So Yeah, she, she was 13. She had just turned 13 April 1st. So they, we went to, a, to another hospital where they removed the tumor, hoping that by taking it out and relieving pressure that perhaps the damage wasn't fatal. Uh, but when a brain tumor blows up inside your brain, it's sort of like a firecracker. And so it was in her brainstem. And of course, that's all functions of your body, breathing, everything. So we had we had a week on life support where the first two days we were hoping that she would show some signs of life and wake up. And then we realized that she would not. And the, the last three days were me really insisting that all of her friends be able to come and say goodbye to a version of her that looked normal. When you're on life support, your cheeks are rosy and, you know, you don't look like you're dead. You look like you've got tubes all over the place, but that's still was still Molly in the bed. Yeah. We probably had, I would say upwards of about a thousand visitors over the course of our time at that hospital. Friends, teachers, dance instructors, people that she was in theater with relatives, family. It was, it was such an amazing way for people to say goodbye to a little girl because, you know, otherwise they just sort of disappear. Yeah. Um. And then, and then what, you know, we had to remove her from life support and that's certainly a, a process that the no mother, or father, or anybody, should have to go through with a child. It's just so wrong, just sort of fundamentally speaking. Having said all of that, in my years now as a mother with a with a dead child, um, I'm really lucky. I was with Molly. I was with Molly when our tumor blew up and we didn't know it was in there. And I was with Molly when we unplugged her, so she was never a child dying by herself or afraid. You know, she was always I, in the grief world. I'm I'm a lucky one, um, if that makes any sense at all. Um, and I have to say the two years after Molly's death were almost invisible. I can't even remember now. I became a very, very heavy drug user and alcohol user. Um, I was on every prescription known to, to I would say no to man, but really a lot of these prescriptions are over, over-prescribed to women. But I was on everything that you could take to not, not die and not feel, yeah. sleep and wake up and just all of it. You name it, I was on it. And our life just stopped. It was just, you know, life as we knew it stopped. Uh, we have a an amazing community. So, we Molly's funeral was a thirteen hundred seat theater full, and it was all of her friends performing and giving tribute and stuff to her. So, the time goes along, and you know, and after a while, we we had a lawsuit with the hospital. That was incredibly taxing. Um, they like to paint the mother as poorly as possible. So, if there's a jury, they don't want to give that horrible lady money. You know, it's all about. It Was a very very interesting um, journey. Um, so that That brought us to about two years post death. and And around that time, actually on and off during those two years, I kept having this odd dream that I should have a child. And of course, I just assumed I'm you know I'm grief-stricken. I'm not right. Of course, I'm having these dreams. But the dreams were persistent. and as we as we sort of you know started to rebuild and put our lives together and learn how to live without Molly, the dreams really, really did not abate. Um, so I went and did all this testing sort of on my own. I went to my physician. I went to my local oB. So this was all in 2017, 2018. You know, you have to have all this testing done, mammograms and colonoscopies and everything. So I got a clean bill of health to go for it, but we had no money. We were, you know, settling the lawsuit and everything still. Um, And when all of that done, when we finally solved the lawsuit, like not two weeks later, I had the dream again. And so I said to Kenny, my partner, all right, the dream is back. Let's go see if we can do this. In the process of trying to have this child, I had to go off all that medicine. So let me just say, we as a, as a nation like to judge drug users who struggle to get clean. August to December of 2018 was the most difficult time in my life. And think about the fact that I've lost a child. Getting off all that medicine was way harder. It was, it was unbelievably difficult. I have such admiration now for people that have done this for years and get clean somehow. Yeah. So in that, in that process, I have a mouth condition called trigeminal neuralgia, and I take seizure med for, meds for that. And when I went off of those, because you can't take those either, yeah. the pain in my face was so excruciating that I realized I wouldn't be able to have a baby. So I found a, an amazing neurosurgeon in New York City named Imad Eskandar. And I wrote to him and he said, I would love to operate on you and fix your mouth. I told him my whole story. So he said, go get this MRI. And so I have this you know, MRI, like, you know, a long MRI, lots and lots of imaging. And I come home and I'm, you know, hoping, oh, I hope that whatever's wrong with my brain can be fixed by this neurosurgeon. And my phone rings from my local neurology doctor. And I'm like, well, that's odd. I only had the MRI an hour ago. Yeah. And they tell me I have three brain tumors in my head. So, yes. So here I am. I've lost a daughter to a brain tumor that no one knew she had. My husband, Kenny, is on dialysis. He was so sick. So I don't sick. know if that's the worst. And Gracie is a senior in high school. All she wants is a normal life, right? Yeah. So now, now both parents have serious issues and, and her sister's gone. So that was a rough period of time. So I went to New York City and this, this neurosurgeon said, I will take care of you. Don't worry. We'll get that tumor out. So it was pretty significant. You know, I have a giant scar. Um, so they removed the tumor. And then two months later, they did the, the mouth surgery. So all of that was, I would never have thought to go off the medication if I wasn't trying to have this baby. So I think, all right, maybe that's why I had the treatment. Yeah. Um, so I get through all of that. And they're benign tumors that the placement was off. And it was it was putting pressure on my carotid artery, which would have been bad sometime down the road. That would have been a stroke. So in the process of healing in that spring, we went to Florida to Disney, which is what we do every year on the anniversary of Molly's death. We go to Disney because it's a nice escape. And a friend of Molly's and Gracie's who had danced in her funeral um, had an anaphylactic reaction to peanuts and was on life support. So we flew right home. We totally dove in to help this family because that's what people had done for us. Yeah. And the sweet girl Rachel did not survive. She was on life support. We were all just such a, such a mimic, you know, an exact replica of what we'd gone through. Yeah. So in the process of unplugging their daughter, they were able to donate her organs because she didn't have cancer. We couldn't donate Molly's because they didn't know if her tumor was cancerous, which it was not. So that family gave Kenny one of their daughter's kidneys. I know. They live like two miles up the road from us. So that kidney that lives inside of Molly's dad's tummy now danced in her funeral that's how i like to describe wow. like the hugeness of that so now we're healthy my my head's better my hair's growing back kenny has a kidney that is amazing yes. go, thank you rachel we, yes, we say Rachel all the time yeah um and um and so we were we were cleared for the ivf you know to go and try to have the baby so we did one round of ivf and it didn't work um and so i thought well okay you know i'm 55 56 now but my my fertility doctor was a Big Italian guy named Vito Vito Cardoni. Picture <laughs> picture any Italian mafia guy in any movie. Yeah, such a stereotype, and that was him, but with the most gentle face. Aww. So we go back in, and I think, think he's going to say, "Well, good luck and goodbye." And he just said, "It wasn't you. We need we need new, we need new sperm from him." Pointing to Kenny. So we had pre kidney transplant sperm and post kidney transplant sperm. I know that's a bit graphic, but at any rate, we went through the whole process again. He. He just said, I don't care how old you are, your body can do this and we're going to have a baby. So COVID came and it it made us wait a few months. You know, everything sort of got put on hold. But in the summer of 2020, I went through my IVF transfer and found that I was pregnant in August and had this amazing pregnancy, a really, really stress-free pregnancy. Every single test known to humanity, though, to make sure this baby was fine and that I was fine. I didn't tell anyone until I was at about 22 weeks because- I just didn't want, my OB actually was very insistent on this. If anything was wrong and the pregnancy wasn't going to last, have that be private because there would just be so much judgment. And I get, there's a lot of judgment now, but everyone, everyone's entitled to how they feel about things. So I had a really, a night. The, the, the biggest pieces of my pregnancy were my OB saying, how can I be the healthiest patient in his office right now, since I could be the mother of all his other pregnant yeah. mothers. Yeah. And um. And then the, my insurance would kick back and say, diagnosis inconsistent with age of patient. So we're not covering your, your ultrasound. I'd, I'd have to call the insurance company and say, I'll send you a selfie. <laughs> I'm pregnant. It was really funny the, the computer just kicked it back. It, they covered everything, but yeah, it would initially deny the treatment because I'm too old yeah. you know, to That's be accident. Yeah, it was funny. So I developed preeclampsia and had to deliver Jack um, a month early and that again was just an amazing experience everyone on duty in the in the hospital that night were all women um a huge age range my the OB was like a month away from retiring and then my LNA that took care of me was 19 and and everything in between and we just had this amazing from from the first round of Pitocin to Jack being born um was about 7 hours and i don't even i fell i fell asleep woke up in the morning thinking we weren't having a baby Ordered breakfast. I'm eating breakfast. It was March 20th yeah. of 2021, and so the, the doctor comes in. How are you? I'm like, I'm fine. Why are we not having a baby? And she's like, Oh, you went into labor at about three in the morning. I'm like, oh wow. No. Well, all right then. So they broke my water, and of course that makes everything happen. But from the breaking of water until Jack coming out was about 90 minutes. Um, and he used the one push wonder. They're like, All right, I think we're ready to push. I'm like, Okay. I just gave a good old CrossFit push. I call it. And he came out. <laughs> One push and out came this teeny tiny little slithery mass of humanity. Um, oh, wow. And so, yeah. And so that was that. And so, you know, he's, he's, I have to say, I just feel sometimes he's the vessel for all the love that we missed from Molly in the last six years. I just think he just brings such light and happiness to our family. We need the pain in the neck and he's a lot of work and I don't sleep yeah. much, yeah. but I'm a menopausal woman. I don't sleep much anyway. That's now I, now I just have company. I have this cute little baby next to me. So life is good. <laughs>
0: Wow. So many incredible like lessons there yes. or insights or blessings. I don't know what you want to call it within that story. Just yeah. incredible. I mean, I don't even know where to start. So my late husband, he had, I administered dialysis at home. So I know yes, how taxing that can be yes. on your life just normally, like yes. without having anything else going on. So yeah. um, I'm so happy to hear he got a living donor and that he's yeah. doing well because I know what that's like
1: yeah yeah
0: very yeah funny.
1: yeah no it was it was amazing well rachel passed away
0: rachel didn't survive right i know right okay yeah, yeah right no, right no i know but oh. i'm just saying like from a yes yes. now all no, this no. other stuff going on all these issues yes. and your your husband's on on dialysis yes. i don't know if he did a hemo hemo or peritoneal i just know that my late husband when he was going through dialysis he was just a shell of a person he couldn't do yeah
1: was kenny and initially it made him feel better right he went for he has the he got it in his arm um and he went to a dialysis center and he met some amazing people there but after a while the dialysis it's necessary to keep you alive yeah but he would come home and sleep and sleep and vomit for like and then have about 12 good hours and you have to go back and do it all over again
0: yeah 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 Yeah, so that's the
1: other little neat part of the story um so before i had gracie um kenny and i had a baby boy Who only lived to about 25 weeks in my belly and he had a really significant heart defect oh my and since so we had to induce labor and deliver him and um so i i donated his body to children's hospital of philadelphia they have an amazing neonatal um cardiac unit there and you know i it was hard to do but i just felt like this is a horrible experience i thought that was bad you know yeah um and then um so we got some letters back that they were able to look at his heart and they could recreate it on like a 3d printer and 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 because of his us donating his heart they've developed techniques that can allow those children to live oh, wow. he, jack would have i'm not jack baby gordy would have not survived could have lived in my belly because it's all liquid in there you know you right. breathing but um so that was incredibly helpful you know three or four years after his death to know that he was saving other babies so in my process of making sure Jack is healthy, I had to have a fetal echocardiogram. So I had to go to the same hospital I went to, you know, 24 years ago when, when baby Gordy was in my belly. So we're talking, you know, they're doing the ultrasound and it's the same hospital affiliate that Molly was on life support. So I have a tattoo and they said, Oh, we know Molly, you know, and, and I guess Molly's death was pretty profound at the hospital. And they use, they use what happened to her as an example of how not to treat patients that yeah. you, know, you listen and all this. Um, But then the cardiologist came in to uh, go over the echo with me and she said, so I don't usually work pediatrics anymore. I spent a lot of years in pediatrics, but tell me about this baby that you lost because I had mentioned it to the tech. Um, And sure enough, this woman, who was my cardiologist looking at Jack in my belly, performed the autopsy 23 years ago on that little baby of mine.
0: Yeah. Holy cow. You're a walking miracle wonder. Yeah,
1: the, the story is any. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, Kenny and I couldn't speak for the, but we drove home in just complete silence. Like, how can this be? She remembered, she remembered, she remembered the, how mad, how the magnitude of the defect and what it's like to see that in real life as opposed to in a report or on a, on a yeah. screen, you know, and all that kind of, yeah.
0: So, yeah. <sighs> So what are what are some key takeaways from for you when you look back at your whole story and like where you are today having a young infant and after experiencing all that loss?
1: So I I guess my biggest takeaway is that no matter what people try to say to one another, there isn't one way to navigate any journey that 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 the way that you navigate your journey is utterly up to you and your internal compass and all of the things that that speak to you inside. So should every woman that's lost a baby and they're in their fifties have another baby? Well, heck, no. But for whatever reason, this was my journey and my path. And what I had found is the people that were a part of it yeah. listened to me and were respectful. I, I find that oftentimes women in, in the medical field are treated as you know hysterical crybabies, yeah. And, yeah. and Molly was treated so badly. And and so the other piece I give to women. You know, I, I hear from a lot of women going through IVF, and as inspiring as my story is, a lot of those women are frustrated. You know, like I'm 25 and can't get pregnant. How come you can? You know, like yeah. uh, it, the emotion around creating a, a baby. Um, but they, I also know that why it worked for me was I had a physician that was committed to me. He yeah. he he was able to look at me as a human being and look at my body as what it was and put my age over there on the table and not and not let that drive him. Um, it was so my, yeah, I guess my biggest takeaway, I had every reason to just stay crazy forever or crawl up in a ball and do nothing, you yeah, know, for sure. Mother. Yeah. And then the a turning point for me after the lawsuit was settled is like, all right, she really is never coming back. So what are you going to do, Barbara? Are you just going to be a drunk your whole life? Or are you going to get up off the floor and, mm-hmm. and, and try to do something meaningful? And so, so now, you know, the starting the podcast that I do and, and the blog It's all around sharing, the ugly unspeakable parts of life. Um, because we're told not to say these things, you know, where, you know, little girls are sweet and nice and, and they behave and they, they're modest. And, you know, we, we have to all behave a certain way, at least my generation, that's how I was raised. I always wanted to be a boy because boys got to get in trouble because it was expected of that, you know, like, you know, so, so, you know, it's so in my journey and in my commitment to finding meaning in Molly's death, um, I really want to be a voice for women that have been told to be quiet.
0: I love that. Yeah. What's the name of your podcast?
1: It's called a thousand tiny steps. Uh, And that comes from, I was a health, a high school health teacher, which is a blast. And we would, we, we did a lesson on, on bad decisions or how, how tragic things happen around. It was like relationships and drug use and alcohol and all those things. And try to, and I just said, you know, people don't wake up in the morning and think I'm going to get drunk today and run over a child with my car yeah that's what it but people get drunk and run over kids all the time it yeah. happens. yeah so when did that when did that actually begin what was the journey that brought that driver to that alcohol to that car to that child on that day yeah. Yeah. you know and you can you trace it back and so it was a lesson it was sort of a lesson for them so in, in really trying to manage molly's death and and deal with the fact that i wow it worked and here's a live human that i yeah. brought you like oh no you know what have i done not that not yeah. what have i done what it was a mistake, but the magnitude of creating life and bringing it here, I mean, yeah. that's not small. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? I need to retrace my thousand tiny steps in a, in a bunch of different areas. I really need to look at my life. And so, so far, the podcast has just been me, you know, telling stories of my life. And I've had a crazy life, you know, just.
0: Yeah, I'd say. <laughs>
1: yeah. When I met with a book, the publishing company, one of the editors said, you know, if you were a fictional character, I would say nobody will believe you. You. Yeah you've experienced too many things. Nobody's going to think that really happened. So, you know, and then, so my podcast right now is just that. And the blog is much more of a weekly sort of update kind of thing. I might start publishing it more than once a week. So I write about very current things that are going on in my life.
0: Excellent. Um, I think you are a beacon of hope for anyone that's listening to your story, which I'm sure that you will be on when my audience listens to this. Uh, Where can people find you, connect with you and learn more?
1: Yep. So I have an Instagram. It's barb underscore four, four, four. And I have a Facebook. I live in New Hampshire. So if you just do barb Higgins, conquer New Hampshire, it'll all come up. Um, I have a website, which is called a thousand tiny steps. I also have um, a foundation for my daughter, Molly. So it's called the Molly B foundation. um, And that's just Molly B org. So those are places you can find me online. Um, I have a LinkedIn. I'm I'm getting new to, you know, (laughs) even though I teach at an all online charter school and I spend a ton of time on the computer, social media is still tricky to navigate sometimes for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting into LinkedIn and trying to utilize it more effectively, mostly because I really want to just share. I, I want more people to have a chance to listen. Yeah. And the thing I love about podcasting is you just go on to Spotify and Google what you want to listen to, or you go on to, you know, you Google podcasts and a topic and you can put that on and listen in your car or listen at home or listen while you work or clean and you don't have to join or buy or pay a ton of money. So I like that my story is just available for anyone who would want to listen.
0: I love that. It's beautiful. Yeah. You guys, I'll put her links in the show notes. So don't hesitate to go check Barb out on her social media and go listen to her podcast on any of your favorite podcatcher. You can find yeah. A Thousand Tiny Steps. You also have one more announcement. You are, you are going to be a published author this year, correct?
1: Yes, I am. So I'm um, lacking great organizational skills. I'm good friends with an author. Who lives in my town, uh, but she's from England? Her name is Virginia McGregor, and she's published seven books, and so she and I got together and she ghost wrote the book, so she would ask me questions and I would box her the answers and now I'm doing the final edits, um, but she very much wants my name to be on there as the author, but she um, she'll get plenty of credit because she's amazing. Um and that should be that should the book launch I think will end up being in July. awesome um, so and i don't I don't have a, I've not finalized a title yet, but all of those things will be announced on all
0: my platforms. All our stuff, all the things. All um, my stuff. You've shared a lot with us today, but I like, this is the part of the show where I, where I like to ask for last words of wisdom or advice. What would you like to leave with us?
1: Um, I would like to leave with us actually something you said before we started today, which is that we are all perfectly imperfect. Yeah. Um, I get a bit emotional, but life, we all, we all want this perfect, happy little life. And that seldom happens for anybody. And the, the best thing you can do is allow yourself the time you need to grieve, whatever it is a job loss a death a breakup whatever go ahead and be sad and angry that's fine and then use those things to do something amazing
0: boom yes <laughs> love it yeah. on that note barb thank you so much there is many lessons and and lots of hope and just inspiration within your story and thank you. uh, i i'm sure that Whoever's listening to this is going to be incredibly touched and share share what you've been through with somebody else because, no, that's that that's a lot. That's-
1: yeah, absolutely. And I offer myself always for support and advice or whatever. So, if people need to reach out, they absolutely can. That's now. I also I want to thank you for doing this podcast. I love these podcasts. I meet so many amazing people listening, and I love that. So thank you.
0: You're welcome. Well, we can't wait to hear an update from you when your book comes out. So keep us yeah. posted. We'll I will. Back to update the audience. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a, have a wonderful day. You're welcome. You guys, this is your host, Deanna Rodalescu with Label Free Podcast. to Live your best life. You must live label free. As always, don't forget to subscribe, follow, rate, review, comment, share, all those good things. And I'll be back soon with more dynamic guests.